So, we continue our series on Rejected by Jesus. And this week, we're going to talk again, we're, we're going to go back to talk about the Pharisees, but it's not just the Pharisees themselves, but it's the fact that they come to Jesus in this instance and demand a sign from him. They demand a sign. And what does that mean? Well, in this instance, they're wanting Jesus to perform some kind of miracle to prove himself to them. And God has huge problems with this. And before we really get into it, one of the things that I think is important to understand going into this message is that God is always about the truth. Amen? There, there is no darkness in him. There is no falsehood in him. God never misrepresents himself. God is light and truth. And so when he speaks, when he acts, it is always in truth. It is always in light. It is always good. So there's another thing for us in that is when God acts, when God speaks, we're responsible to recognize it, to understand it as the truth. It's not up for debate. When God commands something, we don't get to parse out and say, well, I don't think he really means what he means. And God means what he means every time. And so the problem with us as people is we don't want to be responsible for the level of truth that God throws at us. We, we just don't. I mean, the, the sinful human heart's going to push back against that every single time. But when it comes time for judgment day, God is going to hold us accountable for every bit of truth that was spoken to us. Now, that should scare you a little bit. And, and not that we need to be just afraid of God and living in fear, but... When we come on a Sunday morning like this, when, when I engage and, and I'm reading scripture for myself, I am exposing myself to the truth that God says, you have no excuse now. You have heard the truth. You have read the truth. You have experienced the truth. So you now are responsible for this. And so when we start trying to tell God how it's going to be, as the Pharisees do in this section we're about to look at, all we're showing is that our hearts are closed off to the truth. And we're trying to assert ourselves over God rather than accepting who he is. And so it may sound, you know, innocuous. It may not sound like a big thing that the Pharisees tell Jesus, hey, you know, what sign do you give us? Perform a sign so that we know that you are who you say that you are. Well, there's more to this, so... Look with me in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. And it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon 
is here. So Jesus calls out the Pharisees for their careless and what we're going to see, blasphemous words. And so the Pharisees demand a sign to prove Jesus has the authority to condemn them. Now, the problem in this moment was the signs were already abundant. It's not like this is the first time they've experienced Jesus or the first time that Jesus showed up on the scene and did something or said something. Jesus has been ministering for a while now, and the the miracles have been numerous. And as we're about to see, he just performed a miracle right in front of them. Now think about that. He just performed a miracle. They just saw it. And then they said, yeah, well, what do you do to prove it? (laughs) Right here. This is it. And what we can learn from this and what we need to learn from this is that, one, the truth is always present. The truth is always present. The truth was right there. And and not just that Jesus was the embodiment and is the truth, as John 14, 6 says. It's that everything they were asking for was already right in front of them. And this is something that God deals with with people all the time is that we just don't want to accept the truth that's been clearly presented right in front of us by him. And so what can God do except condemn us in that moment or or, or reject us when we say, hey, you need to do this. And he's like, I just did. It's right here. Just look. Open your eyes to the truth. Well, that's, you know, that's up for debate. I need something that I like. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. So what is this miracle that had just happened? Well, let's back up to verse 22. It says, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. So three miracles in one moment. He drove out a demon, he healed blindness, and he healed muteness. That's substantial. I don't think that's up for interpretation. That's massive. And it says, And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? Proper response. Hey, something wonderful has just happened. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, Jesus performs multiple miracles in one moment that speak to the truth of who he is. Okay, he's healing infirmity while casting out a demon. That's hard to misinterpret, and yet they manage to do so. And not do they just misinterpret it. They manage to actually blaspheme the Holy Spirit and God in the process. Now, this is, this is huge. Okay, this is what we see even happening in our world today where evil is called good and good is called evil. They are so wrapped up in themselves. They are so lost and so separated from the truth of God that in this moment, when something wonderful happens, all they can do is see the negative. 
in which there was none. They created it. There was no negative. There's no negative side to this. There is only the glory of God and the truth present that Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm and the physical realm all in one moment. And all they can do is say, well, it must be a demon. Think about where their heart is in that moment if that's all that they can do. They can see the love and the wisdom and the power of Jesus on display right in front of them. And yet deny the truth. You see, the truth was there. And that's the wonderful thing about the truth is that the amazing, frightening, powerful, and irrefutable truth was all there all at once. And any heart that was open to the truth is saying, could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? They may not figure it all out, but they're pointing in the right direction. Like, Something has happened here that I can't deny, and it is lifting my thoughts to a higher plane. But those people who had no faith were not looking for God, were not walking with God, immediately call it evil. You see, the truth doesn't justify its existence for people who don't believe it. And that's what I love about the truth, is that it just is and always will be. And you know why? Because God is the great I am. And the truth comes from him. He is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And so he doesn't have to justify anything. He doesn't have to explain. He can just be, do what he does. And those with a heart of faith will look at it and recognize it. And those who are caught in themselves will be offended by it. And those who seek the truth, learn to recognize the truth, and are committed to truth, Celebrate the truth when it's present. They're able to see it. But those who are opposed to the truth will always be offended by it. And so the truth is always there. And this is something we, I, I want us to really grab hold of today and understand is that God doesn't ever hide the truth. It's just hidden from us because of our own sin. You see, this is what happened when, when Isaiah was called in Isaiah chapter 6. And God says, who will go for us? And he says, here I am, send me. And he goes, but what am I going to say? And he says, tell him, be ever seeing, but never understanding. Ever hearing, but never knowing. The truth's going to be right in front of you. But if you're blind and you have no faith, you'll never see it. And in, your refu in a refusal to see it we'll start trying to make demands that God offer something that we will accept. Meaning, we're telling him he needs to work by our rules and not by his. And you see, God is not going to let anybody off the hook when it comes to the truth like this. Nobody. In fact, here's what Paul says about it in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. He's talking about the Gentile world who did not have the law of God in the Old Testament. He says, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. See, what Paul says is all you've got to do is look around at creation and you know God's real. 
seems easy, right? Like we should be able to look at the stars and say, yes, the heavens declare the glory of God. We should be able to look at everything, at, at the, the intricacy of the, the human body and how this, just even a single cell works at an infinite, an infinite level of complexity to see that there is a, an intelligent creator behind it that made it all work. And yet, we have a world that wants to tell us the opposite, that we are merely biological functions that happened as an accident. You see, there is no middle ground here. We either acknowledge the truth or deny it. You can't kind of be into the truth. Because truth is such a force that once any of it is accepted, it all wants in. And it changes us. And so Paul tells us, he says, look, God's not going to let anybody off the hook. If you've never heard the name of Jesus, you still in your heart know that God exists simply by looking at creation. That's enough. And he says, that's enough. You're without excuse. And you know why? Because the truth is always present. It's always there. God is always present. Why? Because God is omnipresent. He is everywhere all at once. So the truth is always present in some form. It's just up to us to recognize it. So the truth in this moment with Jesus and the Pharisees, as I said, is that Jesus has authority over the spiritual and the physical world and that that authority was used for good. It cannot be denied. And yet these people twist it and say it's only by the prince of demons. You have a demon is why you're able to do this. And this is one of those times, again, Jesus rightfully takes offense at what was just said. Could you imagine telling Jesus to his face that you think he has a demon? As he's helping people, he's healing people, and, and all these people can see, they are so consumed in self, they have to make an excuse. They have to make it make sense to them in their world. Rather than changing their mind, they have to project it all onto everybody else. And, and so rather than learn and grow, they simply cast it into a category that they can now dismiss it and say, well, it's, it's just because he's got the chief of demons in him so he can command lesser demons. And Jesus wasn't having it. And he told him, it's, he's about to tell him, it's out of the heart, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if you're really into the chief of demons, I wonder why. Who's really got the demon here? You see, the truth in this moment was out in the open and it was present. In either the crowd or other people, it just depends on how you're going to accept it. And when the truth is presented to us, how we reveal or how we respond to that truth reveals our heart. See, the truth isn't going to change for anybody. And that's what I love. The truth isn't going to change. It's not going to make, it's not going to apologize for its existence. It's not going to lessen its truthfulness for anybody. It's just going to be the truth in every situation. How we respond to that reveals who we are. And this is why the truth is such a force. Because one, you can't unlearn truth. Once you hear it, you're responsible for it. You can't unlearn it. And two, it reveals the heart. Truth reveals the heart. You see, Jesus performed a miracle that can't be denied. He's freed a man of demonic possession and healed incurable physical handicaps. 
can't be denied. They can't even deny it. They're looking at it and saying, no, I can't explain this. So the only explanation that works for me that I like is that he has a demon. Good call. And so here's how Jesus responds to them. Okay, in Matthew 12, 33 through 37, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Here we go again. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Let me translate that for you. You're going to answer to God for what you just said to me. If they really had a relationship with God, they should be very afraid right now. Very afraid. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, God isn't like, you know, what did you say? You could be saved because of this. No, it's going to be justified. Did they believe in Jesus? Absolutely not. They said he had a demon. And so that's on judgment day. God's going to be like, did you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, we, we thought he was the Messiah. We, we just weren't sure. And he goes, no, you right here on this date, you said he had a demon. You didn't believe in him. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. See, it's going to be quite the shock to them that day when they arrive at judgment day and the one they said has a demon is on the throne of heaven. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, no, you had a lot to say then. Come on, let's hear it again. Let's go ahead. Let's keep talking. You see, instead of seeing their error as he calls them out on it, they double down. He just told him, says, look, you're saying the wrong things and you're going to be held accountable for this. And instead of saying, you know what, I'm sorry, I, I don't understand what's happening. I don't, in, instead of repenting, they double down on it and then say they want to see a sign. So now knowing that background of healing the man and then Je- call, saying that Jesus has a demon and then Jesus calling him out even for that, then they say, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now think deeply about what they just asked. After seeing Jesus drive out a demon, heal blindness, heal muteness, in a moment they demand a sign of his authority because he said they were evil. And they said, hey, we need you to back that up with something. Again, deflecting the truth. Not willing to hear it. And so, what they've done is reveal their unwillingness to believe the truth. They saw it with their own eyes. And they refused to believe it. And so, what they would say in their justification is, we're just looking for proof. We want to make sure we're believing the right thing. It's right there. How much do you need? And I want to ask you that question today. How much proof is enough proof? Because there are people that always need just a little bit more. Just a little bit more than what I've been given. 
hey, God, I know God has done this and this and this and this and this, and he's done this, and, and I know this happened, but I, I just don't know that I can trust him yet. I need just, a, just one more sign, God. And you know what Jesus says? No. No. An evil and adulterous generation seeks that sign. Why? Because they're trying to be in charge. They're trying to tell God how things should be. And God, you jump through my hoops to, to give me what I want so I'll believe. And, and Jesus will have none of it. He says, no, you won't get, you will never see enough to convince you if that's your heart. See, Jesus didn't say he wouldn't perform any more miracles. What did he say? He says no sign will be given to them. They're, they're just not going to see it. They refuse to believe. Their heart is hardened. They're, they are blinded in their own sin, and they refuse to, to move forward. And so we have to ask ourselves, how much evidence is enough? And if you've never really asked yourself that, it, it is important. How much is enough? Because faithlessness will always lead to confusion and a rejection of the truth. So if you find yourself walking in circles with God, wondering why he won't just fix something, it's probably not God that has failed. And it may not be that we you know, need to do more. It may be that we've just gotten stuck in a place where we're not accepting the truth. Where we've just kind of stalled in our faith and we've refused to believe something that he has told us to believe. Because if we really believed it, this circle would stop. You see, all sin is faithlessness. That's all it is. It's a lack of faith. When we truly walk with God and believe him, sin will stop. We'll repent from it, turn away from it because we'll see it for the error it is. And so when we aren't walking in faith, that's when sin happens. When we aren't believing God, that, and that's when we'll start asking God to, hey, meet me you know, where I am. I'm not going to meet you where you are. You meet me where I am. You, you do what I want you to do, and then I'll believe. And he says, no. And, he says, and I love this because he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. No sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. What was that? He says, three days, three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man. What he's telling them is, look, you're not going to believe anything, but I'm going to tell you the thing you really need, and that is when I die and come back again, you better believe the gospel or you're in trouble. You want a sign that you're going to believe? When I come back from the dead, and he's predicting his own death here and how long it's going to take and what's going to happen, and he says, when I die and I come back, you better recognize that one. Because if you don't, you're lost for good. Isn't it funny how even in this discussion it comes back to the gospel? It comes back to the belief in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, Jesus is pointing them ahead to it, but he says, this is the thing that you really need. I'm not going to argue with you about this guy I just healed and all the other miracles that you've seen. If you're not going to believe it, you're not going to believe it. It doesn't matter. But this is the thing you better accept. When I die and I come back again, you better look for that sign. You better believe it. And what's crazy here is that it always comes back to this for believer or unbeliever alike. It doesn't matter. What do you do with Jesus Christ? Do you believe in him or do you reject him? 
Do we believe in the gospel? Do we believe that he paid the price for our sins? Or do we think some kind of work, salvation, anything else is in play? Because that's what it will come down to. And you know what? This is, was actually prophesied in Isaiah 8, 13 through 15. God knew that this was going to come down. It would just be this issue would be the thing that was the most important in, in all of existence. And, and he says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary. Now let's pause. What happens when we believe in Jesus? He becomes our sanctuary. Honor him as holy. Did the Pharisees just honor him as holy? No, they said he had a demon. They went the exact opposite direction. They dishonored him. They blasphemed the Holy Spirit of God. They blasphemed him. And so what did he become to them? What does he say? He says, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Isn't it crazy that the same person is either going to become a sanctuary for the faithful or a rock of offense that will, they just will trip over him constantly and never recover? It's one or the other. It's one or the other. You see, we could take all the morality, we could take all the stuff, we could take every, you know, all the church stuff, we can take everything that we do in life and we can boil it down to one thing. Do you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? That's what matters. When you do that, he becomes a sanctuary and you learn to recognize the truth and you start becoming what God intends for you to become. If you reject Jesus, you'll stumble over that same thing forever. You'll be offended by the truth. You'll be offended by what God is and who he is. And it's up to us. Which one will it be? This same scripture comes up then. Paul quotes it in Romans and Peter quotes it in 1 Peter. Because they, it, it is the truth. Jesus is either your sanctuary or he is a rock of offense. And there is no middle ground. And why does it become a rock of offense? The answer is actually simple. Uh, okay. It's in John 3.19. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They're more committed to their own happiness, to their own practices, than they are to the truth. And so it, John lays it out. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And he says, and the Word became flesh, and he came to his own, and his own rejected him. <laughs> His own people rejected him. And why did they reject him? Because their works were evil. They weren't walking in truth. Those who walked in truth, what did they do? They saw Jesus and they rejoiced. And we see it in the Gospels. We see far more people offended at him and stumbling over him, incapable of believing him, than we see believing in him. Yet he becomes a sanctuary for those who believe. And so we have to look, what has captured our heart? Are we people of the truth? Are we people of the gospel? Or are we people of the world? 
if the truth offends you, the truth of Jesus offends, then he's a stumbling stone of offense. And we're tripping over the same thing over and over, not believing. And so what we have to do now is pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. Because this is not an easy thing for us. Okay, This is not natural to humanity. When, when Jesus said, broad is the road and wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many find it, that's where they're, he's saying this is going to be what's normal. You don't want to fit in in this world. And he says, narrow is the way and small is the gate. It leads to life and few find it. And it comes down to having eyes to see and ears to hear. A willingness to hear the truth of God in all circumstances. It doesn't mean that we understand it perfectly. It doesn't mean that we get it right every time. It's not about any kind of superiority or, or we're, we're better. It's just that we're willing to hear what God says. That's what we've got to pray to have every day. Is eyes to see and ears to hear. Because, as we began, the truth is always present. It's always there. God is always there in some way. Even when he's silent, he's there. And those with eyes to see and ears to hear can trust that he's there and learn to see him and then learn to hear him. Learn to follow him. He's not hiding himself as though he doesn't want to be found. He is hiding himself from those who don't have faith, who refuse to have faith. He has laid it out to where those who have a desire for truth will find the truth. Why? Jesus said, ask and it will be given. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek, you will find. I know I got that out of order. That's okay. He said, seek, you will find. But there is the seeking part on us. We have to have that desire for the truth. If we're telling God that you got to just, you just come to me. Just come to me, God. God says, no. I already did. I sent my son into the world. I sent my spirit into the world. I sent my word to you. I've sent prophets to you. I, I've given all kinds of stuff. How about you take a step? I have given to you. And, and so the truth is always there. How we respond to it reveals who we are, and so we've got to pray for eyes to see and ears to hear because God will accept no excuses on Judgment Day. We're, we're not going to be able to stand before him and say, well, I just misunderstood God. And he can say, I, no, you didn't. You just didn't want it. You didn't value it. Now, I'm not casting stones at anybody, but listen how Jesus tells them at the end here that they're not off the hook here just because they don't get it. Okay, in verse 41 and 42, he says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now, the preaching of Jonah was what? Jonah walked into the city and says, God's going to destroy the city in three days. Peace out. And left. He didn't explain what repentance was. He didn't tell him God's plan. He, didn't, he just told him, hey, God's going to destroy this city in three days. And he left. And they're like, hey, we better get our act together. I think he meant that. And they repented. Why? Because they were willing to hear the truth. 
And he says the men of Nineveh are going to rise up and condemn the people that listened to Jesus with their own ears and refused to, to hear it. Because he says something greater than Jonah's here. Of course, this is God the Son. And he says the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. You see, whether it's a message of repentance or a message of wisdom, we have to hear the, we have to hear the truth. And when we do, amazing things happen. Okay, and I mean this. When, when we are willing to hear the truth, God acts and moves in ways that, that change us, that change the world, that alter the course of history, that alter entire cultures. God does amazing things. And it comes down to some simple truths that when we remind ourselves of this, it, it, it shows us, look, I don't have to figure out the mysteries of the universe. I just have to listen to the one who created it. God hasn't asked me to, you know, solve, you know, cold fusion. He hasn't asked me to launch a rocket into orbit. What did he say? He says, just listen. Listen to me. And what is the promise of this? Romans 10, 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not hard. God isn't hiding anything. He says, hey, call on me. I'll save you. But this is where we come into this. As God's people in this world, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Not everybody that hears is going to repent. That's okay. Wide, is, wide and broad is the way to destruction. A lot of people there, a lot of people aren't going to hear it, okay? We can't change that. You know what we can do? We can pick them out one at a time. That's our job. That's all of our job. Okay, my job is to equip you with the truth so that you can go out into the world, into your jobs, into your schools, into your places of influence, and share the good news of Jesus and be the witness for him. And he says, you do this. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God approves. He says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You can feed somebody else's faith in this world and help them find the truth. It's our responsibility to do so. God didn't say go out and solve every problem the world has ever had. And I think Christians, we get in trouble trying to do that sometimes. And especially as churches, we try to do that. We try to offer every solution to everything, and we get so distracted that we no longer are making disciples. We're now trying to just have this triage place where everybody, every problem can be addressed. When you know what? Discipleship is what? Learn to go to Jesus and let him solve your problem. Let, let, you know, develop that relationship with God and let him work it out and let your faith grow. That's what we should be doing. And so that brings it back to that's why we have these pillars that we do and we want to facilitate the kind of growth that we do in this church so that you aren't dependent on me to teach you the truth all the time. 
you know what? I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have the time. We all have to learn how to self-feed. And then something special does happen as we come together as the body of Christ to worship and to hear the word. God does special things in those moments. But it can't be a substitute for self-feeding. You know, spiritually, if we looked at it, too many people only eat one day a week. Now, I know we're about to dismiss from here, and, you know, the restaurants will be full. What if you only ate food on Sunday? How malnourished would you be? You'd be pretty hungry at the end of it, right? You see, we've got to learn to see our spiritual life the same way. We, we have to eat. We've got to eat regularly. We've got to feed on the Word of God. And just doing that one day a week is not enough. And so, if we learn to hear the words of Jesus, we listen to the gospel and we hear its truth, our faith grows. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And that's what keeps us from being rejected by Jesus. And that will keep us from demanding a sign and completely missing the truth of what God's doing in a moment. That's what the Pharisees missed. And so today... We also want to honor God and Jesus in the sacrifice that he made for us. When Jesus met with his disciples the night before his crucifixion, they gathered in the upper room and they celebrated the Passover meal together. And for thousands of years they had celebrated this not knowing exactly what it meant, hearkening back to Egypt and when the, the blood went on the post and the doorpost before and the angel of death passed them by passed over their house. And for all that time, people thought that they were looking back at something, not realizing, no, we're actually looking forward to that which will really free us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The blood of Jesus, and that when we put our faith in the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made, we can be forgiven of all of our sin and reborn and remade in his image. And so he met with his disciples and he took the bread and he explained, this bread is my body, which shall be broken for you. And after he had taken the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which shall be given for you. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so today as the body of Christ, together, we take of the bread together we drink of the cup. Father God, we thank you so much for this day and this time. And God, we do pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, that we would not be oblivious to the truth that is right in front of us. God, that we would seek the truth even when it's unpleasant in a moment knowing that the truth will set us free. God, lead us to be closer to you. Lord, use us, send us into our, our world, our, our circles of influence, God, to represent you, to share your love, 
your kindness, your grace with those around us. That we would be bold and share the gospel, God, when you lead us to. God, there's a world out there that's hurting and lost. And God, you are the answer. And I pray that none of us would be ashamed to share that. God, use us to build your kingdom. Be with each and every person as they go from this place today. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.